came out a year later the second right. record and what uh do you feel had changed from the first one to that one uh that you know actually changed and then also if you can recall you know maybe what you guys were aiming for that might have been beyond or different you said it beyond we were trying to go beyond the first l you know the, the let's get cracking i mean that gives you the energy you go, okay, we've done this. This was just kind of like something we just did uh, without really knowing as much as we know now. Now let's back it up with something bigger and better. We've got all this experience from the first thing that we did. Uh, a lot of things changed. <clears throat> that attitude um, plus the environment we were working in, a bigger studio we were working in, same guys in Portland where we track most of the stuff there, except for a couple cuts, I think. And, uh, you know, to better quality musicianship. We brought in a few extra people to do backgrounds and things. Uh, and just the overall energy was, you know, and, and what it all boils down to, though, you know, was, you know, is the material going to gonna be good? And... There's all those things. But your expectations are to be better than the first. You just want to keep going up. As you know, that's kind of natural. And um, But a lot of things, the environment, that stuff that I just talked about, and um, just wanting to make it bigger and better and better, you know? I felt, for me, I mean, let's get cracking. There's hands down. That's That was it. But for me, I loved the Waves album. I think, for me, it was produced the best. I think it had the coolest material, really a lot of energy. Um, production was cool, and uh, I had the best experience with that with that record. I think most complete experience for me. Yeah, well, I mean, it kicks off with electrophonic uh, funk, and you guys are yeah. basically declaring a new genre, pretty much. That was pretty bold, and if I remember correctly, I think radio was a little like, you know, you can't say it's not this, it's not that, you know, we're a little edgy about that. I, I think that's kind of where it went. It, I, again, don't quote me on this, but I, I kind of seem to remember there was some backlash about that. But, but to us and to me, that groove was like killing. And it was just, it had a lot of energy. It was mean, it was funky. And um, I love the chanting in it, and I thought it was a killer tune. So, but what do I know? See, you know, <laughs> none of us know. 
Well, and rap started getting a little bit of play in the band too. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. Loosen Up is really funky. I love that tune too. Those two songs, that's what I was saying. The Waves album to me, Pound for Pound was the best one, uh, just overall. Uh, but yeah, Loosen Up, killer. When we redid that song uh, on the 30th anniversary CD, it's even better. <laughs> just the way we did it. And you guys did the sequel, The Crack is Back. Um, right. Yeah. Was that yeah. um, because you were hoping to repeat that success? Or you just, what What do you think inspired? Maybe we thought that, you know, we just thought, well, we got to incorporate Kraken somehow again, you know, here we are again. This is our second, you know, our, our second uh, showing. And uh, that song was one of those things that just kind of happened. And everybody collaborated together. And we actually recorded that one down at Fantasy Studios. Um, and it just kind of went, came together. Um, and that, that was, um, that might have been, the, you know, the crack is back, the title. I think it was, hey, you know, here we are back again, the guys that did crack and, and the crack is back. Because we love that groove, too. That was funky groove. Mm -hmm. And uh, Malcolm just rapped over the top. He just, that stuff just came out, you know. He just was great at that. And we got into that, recording that song. And next thing you know, when the dust settled, it was done. And we loved it. We thought it was just a great song. It was just fun. Everybody was having a great time. Uh, just a lot of guys, though. Man, I don't know how we did it. <laughs> Kept saying. Well, the title, it definitely takes the cake, though, and you were a writer on this, is Mr. Wizard and the Funk Bomb. Oh, yeah. Now, there was an original version of that one way back. So we redid that one, I think. But that song, yeah, that was just a... I mean, let's just go in and make something happen, you know? And everybody kind of added their little parts. And we just created that tune. And, I mean... What is Mr. Wizard and the Funk Bomb anyway? I have no idea. But at the time, it made sense, you know? <laughs> we were nuts, you know? That was kind of part of our deal. We, we were a little nuts. And and you ask anybody in the circles back in the day in the Portland area, and they will tell you as much, <laughs> you know? But that's part of creativity, you know, and originality. You, you, it's... It's just the unexpected stuff has to be uh, uh, out there, in there, too. I think that makes people remember, you know? Yeah. Did, did you guys try to go for any sort of gimmicks or, uh, you know, matching stage costumes or anything like that when you were on stage? And you know, what was your presentation, uh, you know, objective or aesthetic? Yeah. In those early days, it was definitely the Earth, Wind, and Fire vibe thing. All the sequence stuff and satin bell bottoms and that kind of thing. And no, I did not pull that off very well. <laughs> <laughs> we need visuals on that, Joe. Oh my God, I, I look at pictures and oh, I cringe. They're scary. But uh, yeah, so that was the vibe, you know, back then. We were trying to 
trying to be the, the shiny horn band that, you know, had the dance steps sort of and at least the horn section uh, and, and kind of go that route. Now, with that, was it the first album or the second album where you guys got this accolade from Rolling Stone? And um, do you remember that? No. <laughs> uh, I, I've heard, I, I didn't see the issue, but I've heard that they proclaimed Shock as one of the hot, you know, upcoming groups and so forth. I do remember that now. I do now that you say that. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I wish I had that article, scrapbook. Uh, but I do remember that. But I, I couldn't elaborate on it much though for you because I just it it was it's one of those things a, a blur you know yeah. at this point. But well, so very cool. at least viewers and listeners uh, understand the impact that you guys were making that you were recognized by a you know national uh, trade like that and uh, yeah. Um, how, how did you guys feel about, you know, the reception and how Waves did? We were a little uh, disappointed, I think. You know, I think I was. I know I was. And I think I could speak for a few others. Because, you know, you, you're, you're anticipating it being bigger and better. You think what you did was a product that the people are going to just go... This is amazing, and this is you know we're going to sell more albums, and uh, it just didn't happen. I don't think it obviously didn't happen the same way as the first one, you know, because let's get cracking was just the deal, and that happens to a lot of you know uh, a lot of a lot of bands. Just the first one's a good one, and then the second one's kind of a flop. Or you got to recover and come back and do something better the third time around. Third time around was Nightlife in 83. And, uh, you know, am I, I really strong record, you know? I thought so, too. I thought it was really strong. I thought the material was great on that record. Um, it was a completely different approach as far as how it, they gave us a bigger budget. Uh, we recorded it primarily down at Fantasy Studios, whereas the first two, the first one was recorded all, I believe, in Portland. second one was mostly Portland and a few tunes at Fantasy, but this one was the biggest budget. Uh, I think they were really trying to knock it out of the park, and uh, so we were able to, you know, uh, record the whole thing down there. And uh, completely different vibe. And at that point, the band had changed. It was scaled down, as you probably know. Uh, we did not have the horn section anymore. And so it was just five of us. I believe that's right. And so um, I dug it. It had a little bit more of a, a rock edge to it in certain spots. The mix was completely different. Uh, it was a little bit more of that live sound drum feel that I think they were trying to go for at the time. Um, I think some of us wanted it to be more of the tighter sound that it, it was uh, before uh, because of the material, but uh, it ended up being what it, what it was. And uh, Waiting on Your Love was a great song. So, and it's got the killer bass line in there. Yeah, I don't know who yeah. did that. Great funky dance R&B track, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think it was a really good record. It showed you guys, you know, transitioning, like you said. And 
it was a sign of the times too. I mean, so many of the R&B funk groups sort of ditched the horns and went with the synthesizers instead and right. sort of that um, little like harsher sounding drum, you know, right. beat. You know, yeah, so. it was just a matter of trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, and what was happening at the time and, and be current. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was some of the old from us trying to meet the new. And uh, so, like I said, it was a completely different vibe tracking that record. People need to seek it out, though, in my opinion. I mean, Nightlife just, uh, you know, that was different because it was not only funky, but it had that sort of guitar picking element instead of the uh, strumming kind of thing that was more common in shocks stuff. yeah yeah i i remember that part <laughs> i remember creating it in a basement or coming up with it yeah you're actually uh i think you have more songwriting credits on this one yeah do i i can't remember but i know i was involved in it one way or another uh you know, throughout the whole time with the shock band, Roger and I were pretty tight all the way through it, um, growing up together and stuff, you know. We were pretty much doing everything together. And, I mean, he did most of the creating and the writing, uh, but we did collaborate on things too. And a part of that was because we were around each other a lot. You know, we knew each other so well and we could bounce off each other um fairly easily you know so but yeah it's it's uh i didn't realize i had more writing credits on there um yeah. and you you mentioned rocking straighten up is one definitely has a little more rock edge uh to yep. it. and um an influence that i felt on this one that everyone i think was feeling in 1983 was a little bit of prince uh minneapolis kind of sound uh creeping yeah in. So straighten up. I'm I'm a writer on that. I think. I, uh, yeah, that's kind of got more of that vibe to it for sure. Um, we got to get you a woman is different. Uh, Todd Todd Rundgren um, cover, I guess, and I don't really know the original, but this track is very different for Shock in its sound yeah. and approach. Um, but it's cool. I enjoy it. It's very cool. The whole, it's a great thing. <clears throat> the story behind that was is that we were done tracking the record and they wanted to add another tune. Um, and at the time, at Fantasy, I believe Journey was recording in one of the other studios. And at that time, it was Randy Jackson who was playing bass. And that's actually Randy Jackson playing on that tune. And they just kind of put that together. So... I had no involvement in that one. <laughs> Did you get to meet him or hang with him at all? Or? I didn't get to meet him, no. Oh, uh -uh. I think we popped in the studio where they were tracking a couple of times when we were down there and said hi. But, I mean, you know, I'm in my early 20s. My eyes are like this big. It was a blur, you know. But uh, I didn't get to formally meet Randy J. That would have been great, but that didn't happen. Um, San Juan, really cool instrumental. Yeah, that's a great song too. Had a blast doing that one. A lot of Roger synthesizer stuff on that, which we love. That kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> the kind of tune that we could jam on for hours, that kind of thing. 
back in the old days when we'd go do house parties and stuff, not even that with the shock band, but Roger and I and a couple other guys from the band or whatever. That's the kind of stuff where we would just go in and play this group for a long time, and I think that's kind of where that tune came from. Um, we all just enjoyed watching him, you know, go into outer space with his synth solos. <laughs> I think it, it speaks to how strong it was because typically an instrumental track would be like relegated to like the final cut or something on a record. But on this right. one, it's number three, which is a prime slot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Wow. I don't know who made that decision, but yeah, it speaks to, uh, you know, how good it was. So, unfortunately, things didn't pan out as you guys had hoped at that point, and uh, as a lot of fans of Shock uh, had hoped. Um, so, you know, what happened from, from that, that point on until I know there was a resurface in the late 80s, but can you kind of step us through that? Ugh, let's see. We got dropped from Fantasy, um, and I think the band... I honestly don't remember in detail how it all went down from there, but it, I mean, the band eventually broke up. Um, and out of that came a few other side projects that Roger did. Hypertension was a band, was mostly shock guys. It was more towards the funk rock stuff because of the times and things were changing. Um, and then it just kind of went away. You know, Roger redid. After hypertension, he put together a different version of Shock, which is more of a, a later '80s version. Uh, and they were they had a, a, a hit, I think, "Talk About Love." I wasn't in that band; I was out of it by then. And uh, they did other stuff. They were pretty big in the uh, Pacific Northwest. And um, but yeah, it just kind of went away for me. That's kind of what I remember uh, how it all. I mean, we just got dropped, and that was a drag. And um, how it kind of fizzled out, I don't remember in detail, you know. I think we all just kind of went our separate ways for a while. Everyone else was doing other kind of local bands around town, I'm sure of it, you know. <clears throat> but we all came from different backgrounds, and there was, it just, you know, went away. And not until later did we kind of reconnect and see how everybody's doing, but that's like... Ten lifetimes ago, you know. Um, but uh, at some point during the '80s, uh, you played some with Kenny G, right? Yeah. So okay, that's right. So out of that, um, because Marlon was playing with Jeff Lorber, this is this is what happened. Thank you for jogging my memory. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> that was probably, I don't know. He was playing with Lorber at, around the same time, like. I don't, he would know, but I remember it being somewhere between 80, early 80s, 83, 84, whatever. But uh, he was playing with Lorber, and at that time, Kenny Gorlick uh, was, Kenny G, was his sax player, who then got a solo deal with Arista, and then uh, he needed a band. <clears throat> and so, uh, just to place a few shows in the Northwest, so Marlon was going to be the guitar player for Kenny. I think he was maybe doing double duty there at first. And then uh, he they need some other player. So he graciously recommended Roger and me. Um, and so that's how I got into that whole thing. 
and that was before the recording of the Duet Jones record. So it was still pretty localized, it was pretty small. We were doing shows up in Seattle, up in uh, Vancouver, BC, and Portland area. We did some shows, and I think there were some shock guys that got fused in a, to a couple of those shows too. Um, somehow it went like that. I got some pictures of Kenny and then some of the shock guys playing at a, a, a venue downtown Portland. So I know we did that. Um, yeah, and then it, we were do, doing that. That was around '85, and then uh, and he was at the same time doing. He had done a couple solo CDs uh, records before, and then we, he did the Duotones album, and uh, I recorded on that, <clears throat> and then it just went, you know, of course, went nuts. So the next thing I know, and I'm playing, you know, in these huge stadiums, uh, '85, '86. Time, time, and that was great. So I got to track on the Duotones, a uh, couple of songs, I think, and then Silhouette album, at least on one, And uh, but toured that whole time. And again, Marlon was the original guitar player. That I don't remember when that all turned, when he was gone from that, but Roger and I were still in it, and then he picked up a couple other Seattle guys, guitar player John Raymond, who I still work with now on, on projects. And uh, and then we toured with that other band, uh, the big shows. And we, you know, I got to do a lot of stuff opening for. Uh, we we toured with George Benson, Michael McDonald, stuff with the Commodores, uh, all kinds of stuff. Just everybody. It was it was a great experience for me, you know. Um, so that was for a couple of years. I did that. Wow, so that's cool. So the, although you didn't get out much touring with Shock, you did kind of get some of that with Kenny G. So I got all my big time touring experience through that. Yeah, yeah. which is really funny because you would think I would already have it from, you know, from the Shock days, but it wasn't. That wasn't it. It was all the Kenny G stuff, and that guy was. Kenny is just a great guy, and everybody in the band, you know, had a great time. We toured all over the country, and uh, it was just. Just an amazing time of my life, and I got so much out of that, and I still get a lot of mileage out of that experience, you know, both with all my stuff and recognition and the experience of the players and the connections I made with other musicians and uh, work I did. Well, I was a uh, you know Jeff Lorber Fusion fan in the '70s, so yeah. um, you know, and really. Uh, appreciate Kenny Kenny Gorlick's uh, work on that and you yeah. know I don't think any of us ever expected that he would blow up to the extent he did on his own I mean that was just astounding it was amazing and I really I think that song a songbird I think I'll, I'd be, I'm right about this but I, I mean I think a lot of that was tracked on an 8 track recording you know, an eight-track uh, recorder in his home up in Seattle, and just the basic tracks kind of thing. At least it was written that way, you know. And and uh, and then for it to do what it did, you know, that just goes to show you, it's, you never know, you know, you just never know. It's like playing the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> well, just if people only know him for that, you know, they should know. Yeah. That. He he got down before that with uh, you oh know, yeah Lorber Fusion. They did some great funk jazz um, stuff and uh, 
did, did, did you ever um did, did you have to ever tone it down though playing you know his stuff you were were you ever getting a little too shocky funky <laughs> no because back in those days, his band was more high energy. It wasn't until after the Duotone song became a hit that everything slowed way down and tailored to that audience, which is what you got to do. But no, when I was in it, we were we were rocking out pretty good. I mean, it was still a lot of energy. And uh, yeah, so I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> good, good. Well, it sounds yeah. like that was a great time. It was. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned the shock record in the late 90s that Marlon McLean was uh, involved with and, and, and Roger, but not yourself. I know the group uh, came back with the record Retro Man in 94. Uh, and uh, how, how did that come together involving okay. you? Okay. That, okay, well, Roger was living in Portland at the time. He had been, I think, in L.A. for a few years uh and then he moved back and uh, he recorded that whole thing mostly in his home studio and uh, just called me up to come over and track baits on it. Uh, but he owned the name Shock and it was a Shock record and he sings on all those songs. That's Roger singing. And so that is just a creation that he did all himself just because, you know, he wanted to express whatever he wanted to express at the time. And he has the talent to do that. And uh, so, you know, he, he had me come over and track and a couple other guys that had been at one time or another involved in shock. Uh, other guitar player, Scott Boyd, who's on that Retro Man CD. And uh, he just created it all himself and put it out there. So there really was not a band to go with that CD. So that's what that was all about. I mean, that's how that came to be. I'm sure there's some different nuances in there that he could tell, Roger could tell you, but that's my perspective on it. Well, uh, to the extent it was a band or not, I thought it was a strong comeback. I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of good music on there. Totally. He wrote some great stuff for that. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, for sure. And even it starts off with that Time or Our Lives, uh, real like Zap style funk type groove. Totally. I think when he had done his other version of Shock in the late 80s, he was doing a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, the talk about love time and all that. Um, and so that carried over into what he did with Retro Man. I think he wanted to, you know, he needed to get that out there some more. And that vibe, and, and it was just killer. It was just always slamming grooves with that total zap thing going on and uh so super fun yeah and it starts off with a lot of great funk tracks i don't know how much you remember some of these individual tracks but i just want to mention um tv talk show utopia um yeah. you know i hear like the uh ms got the body uh confunction type groove in, in that one and um ricky's point of view uh, sort of like Daz meets New Jack Swing. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I dug that song. Yeah, and real experimental, kind of uh, incorrect with this like stutter step rhythm. On if you remember that one, 
Yeah, I, oh yeah, I play on that one. I remember it, and it's because it's kind of got that Tower Power uh, David Garibaldi drum fuck feel going on, and and uh, totally love that. Again, <clears throat> all those songs are really strong on that on that on that CD that he did, and a lot of it, you know, to me was he, you know, he was in complete control of the whole project. He was zeroed in on it, and he was just doing what he wanted to do, and. From the start to finish, it and it came across great, you know. And I think he mixed it, mastered it all himself too. So, it, uh, but yet yeah, that's another great song for sure. I'll call you out on "Eyes on the Prize." Um, some nice plucking on that one. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, man. He's. Uh, <clears throat> I I love playing on all that funk stuff of Rogers. He's he's just so easy to pocket, you know, especially when they're synth bass playing. I'm not the predominant low end. It uh, I get to um, just kind of dress up what's already there, and uh, <clears throat> I uh, I love doing that stuff. It seemed like on this one he was going for more of a message in some of it too. You know, like he wanted to make a statement musically and thematically. Um, I'm sure you know he, you he could speak to that obviously better than you could, but I just want to mention that because I think <clears throat> it's worth noting. Yep, absolutely. You're right. Totally was. So, yeah, it was kind of funk with an edge uh, in both ways, musically and oh yeah, right, you know, thematically. So, unfortunately, as far as I know, that was the last official shock record, right? In terms of new material. In terms of new material, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you guys have played together since then. I know, um, I don't know how often it's happened, but I know there's a 2017 uh, video out there that has you guys, including Marlon, playing together. And Okay, yeah. Uh, we did that show. Um, that was a reunion show, so to speak. We actually were opening up for Ohio players. Mm-hmm. And so they build us with them. And so, and we had actually done a couple before that, a few years before. There's a thing called the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, and they uh, do that every year, and they recognize, you know, longtime musicians in the Portland or Oregon, uh, along with having entertainment. And of that, they they try to get bands from the past to go perform. And uh, yeah, that time was we opened for the Ohio Players. And it was it was really fun. It was really fun. We did, I think, pretty much all the popular tunes that we had. It was like an hour set or something, and it was just one after the other. And we rehearsed once. Uh, <laughs> and but before that, there was a lot of you know pre uh, rehearsing. Everybody got tracks of things and instructions on what to do and arrangements and things. You know, everybody was still a professional, and we came together, and it was a reunion for us as well. It was great to see everybody, and everyone was healthy, and um, we had a blast. That was very fun. So, and then that that uh, we had that thirtieth, uh, you know, anniversary CD that came out, which compilation of all the older stuff, with a couple of remakes of uh, Nightlife and Loosen Up on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool stuff. I mean, I hope at some point maybe you guys will do that again uh, or have the opportunity to. Yeah, I want to do it again. I think everybody wants to do it again, and it's just 
there's a lot of people in life and coordinating that is the, the tough part, you know, so we certainly would love to do it again. Yeah. I hope. Um, and you uh, came out with your record in 2012 after hours, which is uh, definitely more of a sort of a jazzy uh, yeah. type thing. Uh, how how did how did it come to be that you finally got something out there and and what were you hoping to achieve? Okay, so when I moved to uh, Bend, Oregon, uh, almost twenty years ago now, I was not focusing on performing, playing music, or anything at that time. Um, I just had my daughter was looking to get out of the big bigger city, moved somewhere a little more simple. So when I got here, I started looking for uh, music in town. Uh, that led to me ending up playing with a couple of very talented people here. Uh, a friend of mine, A.J. Cohen from Philadelphia, who had lived in Bend for already 10, 15 years or whatever, piano player, who actually was... Uh, from Philly, knew Jeff Lorber. He actually dated his sister. Small world. <laughs> so wow. um, I played with him and a sax player from uh, who was originally from Salt Lake, uh, Andy War, who is on my CD a lot and co-wrote a lot of stuff with me. Those two guys I started playing with uh, in Bend, and that music was kind of more of the smoother stuff, right? It was more smooth jazz-oriented stuff. Uh, we would do some cover stuff, and I had kind of already stockpiled a few ideas, and we just collaborated and said, let's come up with some original material to play live. So we started doing not only some of uh, AJ's material, but some of mine. Um, and then, so that's how I started to get the idea rolling, right? And then I get to a point where I've kind of got enough tunes and I want to do a project, and I had always thought I wanted to do a project, but it's one thing to think it and the other thing to do it. It's, it's a lot of work. And um, so I had that goal. Uh, my goal was to get it done by the time I was 50. I got it done when I was 52, I think. So that was pretty good. Um, so that's how it all started. And so then Andy, a sax player who was writing melodies to some of my, uh, you know, my grooves and stuff, we would write these songs together and then kind of just stockpile these ideas. And then uh, I got to a point when I wanted to uh, put together the project, put one out. I got a little more serious about it. So um, I just started brainstorming and putting it together and, and spending a, investing a lot of time um, cleaning up and finishing up a lot of tunes. Um, and then... Um, connecting with some other players that I loved. Uh, I got, well, John Raymond, Kenny Jeet's guitar player, plays on a lot of my stuff, and he co-produced to that CD with me. I got Marlon to play on a tune. Uh, I got Jeff Lorber to play on a couple of things. He co-wrote one of the songs and uh, plays on another one. Um, Gerald Albright, sax player. I, I got him on there. That was through Roger, his connection with him. And Roger's on it too, of course. And uh, and then a guitar player guy by the name of Dean Brown, who he he lives in L.A. now, and, and uh, but he was Marcus Miller's guitar player for a while there during that time, and I just fell in love with him and how crazy he was and how good he was, his stage presence and everything. I just love this guy. So 
I reached out to him and got him to play on track two. And, um, yeah, so you get some names on there. I kind of put this whole thing together. I spent a couple of years putting it together. And uh, that's how it came together. I mean, uh, I still can't believe I finished it, you know, but I did. Uh, I had to get at least one thing out, you know, for me. That was the drive. I told myself, I got to do one project, one solo project. So I got it out there. And it did pretty well. You know, I invested in radio pretty good uh, to get it out there. And uh, it went to number five on the independent smooth jazz charts. Uh, number 15 on smooth jazz charts. Uh, and uh, got a lot of air airplay internationally. Pretty big in the UK. And, you know, so, and that CD is just kind of the overall project was received really well. So, I mean, it's, uh, I feel like I did what I started out to do. I, 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 I did it right, you know, for me. Well, congratulations on seeing that through. Yeah, thanks. Now, if I could just come up with something after that. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's been right. Tough. What do you do for an encore? That's what they always say. That's right. That's right. Um, but you can always say, hey, this was 20 years in the works. You know, give me a break. That's right. That's what I do say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you play uh, those songs out live at all? or We did. You know, when I was playing with this uh, four-piece band here, uh, the CD came out kind of overlapped the time I was still playing with that band. And uh, we did play maybe three or four of those tunes live, uh, just locally here. I didn't tour or do anything like that. I just told myself, look, if this thing doesn't take off crazy, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sell, sell the farm and go off on the road. Uh, and, uh, but we did them locally, played live. And, uh, you know, they were received very well. Uh, I'd sell CDs. Do you ever get to meet Marcus Miller? No. Yeah. I've seen him, but I have not met him. And that would be probably the highlight of my life at this point right now would be to talk to that guy. Because, you know, I'm like a kid when it comes to that him. It's just, I mean, a lot. Saw him last year down in San Diego. Uh, it was incredible. Seen him up in Seattle, Jazz Alley. And uh, I'd love to meet him. What was it about his style that you like so much? He incorporates raw funk um, technique with jazz and complex playing. And, you, you know, so everything has a groove to it, which I still love from back, you know, because I'm completely into R&B. And uh, but that just has those overtones, but he incorporates jazz in there too. And uh, it's just amazing how he plays, you know, over those changes and his writing is amazing. And I also love all the players that he uses, you know, and, um, but mostly it's just his technique and, and uh, his tone he uses a, you know, it's a Fender jazz classic tone. And um, 
I just, I just can't get over it, man. It's just the greatest. So, yeah. Well, I hope to have him on this show at some point. And if I do, I'll put in a good word for you. Oh, wow. That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I would be forever, ever grateful to you if you could make that happen. That's, that's nuts. So Joe, you have a uh, dreaming out and, um, yeah. You know, uh, are we going to see other tracks too, or uh, and, and what's what's happening with with that one right now? Yeah, I just put that out just uh, the other day, this last weekend, and um, again, it's a song I'd had in the can for like three years, and just finished it during. I think I mentioned this early on, and that uh, it's just something to get done. You know, uh, push myself to, and uh, of course, I have plans to get more out there. You know. It's just got to be uh, creatively. I got to be in the right space, and just life that goes on right now. Uh, it's it's uh, sometimes, you know, easier said than done. Just the situation I'm in, you know, I I just uh, I'm not there right now, and I I'm like that, you know, when I write. It's it's a total feel thing for me. There's nothing mechanical about what I do. It's all by ear. It's all by feel. I and and I like it that way because it's an adventure. You know, it's it's not mapped out. I will map it out eventually once I put all the pieces together. But how it's created initially is just it's all floating around there, and and I just it's all emotions and and that kind of thing. So, but yeah, I I did the dreaming thing last year. There's a song called Fifty Four that I put out. I don't know if you saw that or not, but um, that's a more high energy thing. And Roger plays on that. And he solos on there. Reminisce, reminisce of it's like the Shock Days kind of thing. His uh, his solo in there, but that's a good one. You should check that out. How kind can, of disco feel to it. <laughs> how how can people uh, keep up with what you are doing? Well, I have a website, joeplast.com. You can go there, check it out. Um, I'm in the process of updating that right now to add the dreaming thing on there, but my bio is on there, and anything current that's going to happen with me will be on there, and that would be the best way to keep up with me. Or they can reach out on Facebook or Instagram and see me there. Um, yeah. Excellent. Um, are you surprised? That, that shock is still being talked about all all these years later? Not really. I mean, you know, all that's coming back, you know. I mean, that vibe is coming back, which I think is so great. The people that knew it back then in the day are, you know, now they want to feel that again. You know, it's and it's there, and I think it's awesome. So, you know, I'm not super surprised I think it's great I I can't believe I was a part of that thing you know and, and but I see that I mean if I search Jock's name and I see you know YouTube videos or whatever I see a lot of things and a lot of people liking it and how many times it's been played you know like let's get cracking and all this and comments that I see and people still uh, comment to me all this real positive stuff and amazing how that sticks with you know it sticks with people and again it gets back to like I was saying when you play live and how it affects people's lives you know, music really 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 uh, helps steer you through your existence you know yeah amen <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Hey, Joe, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for doing this. And I wish you continued success and, uh, you know, stay safe and sane through all this uh, madness we've had to. Well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate the time. This has been great. And uh, you take care, too, and stay safe. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the funkinstuff.net website, and on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.